Good morning. My name is Steph Roller. I'm a volunteer teacher on the teaching team here at Orchard Hill Church. I want to say welcome to everyone who's here today. Special welcome to anyone joining us online, and especially hello to our Grundy County campus. We are live streaming live into their live service today for the first time, so pray for us. (laughs) Do you realize that it is just over a month ago that we were gathered at all of our campuses celebrating Christmas Eve. And as we sing and we celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ, I always look around and watch everyone's faces bathed in candlelight, and I cannot help but think every single time how much I wish we could just remain in that holy moment. And I'm just sure that if everyone knew about Jesus, the real Jesus, the whole world would be okay. It would be like one of those old Coca-Cola commercials, you know, where we all join hands and sing in perfect harmony. And we're in this series about remaining in our faith, not just on Christmas Eve or Easter or when we get married or have a baptism. We are using the prayer of examine as a tool to help us learn to stay in touch with Jesus every day. And you can get a copy at any of our welcome centers or by scanning your QR code or on our website. But the question is why? Why do we have to work at remaining in Jesus? He remains with us all the time in the form of the Holy Spirit. Why is it so hard for me to remain in him, to carry that Christmas Eve closeness with me? Well, it has something to do with where we live, and I don't mean Waverly or Cedar Falls or Grundy County or wherever you're joining us from. I mean this fallen, broken world. Because in the five weeks since Christmas Eve, I have not stayed in that holy moment. I have not experienced the world reaching out hands to me in perfect harmony. Instead, as Christians, we're often on the receiving end of hatred or misunderstanding. I've seen the world mock us when we pray or turn to God or when we make decisions based on Jesus' teachings. Let's face it, we are mocked all over the place, in music, in movies, in shows. And it's as if having just the ambiguous world mock you isn't hard enough. I am personally unable to share my joy with much of my non-believing family who thinks I'm crazy and rolls their eyes at me when I share a story of God, or shuts me down hard if I ask if they'd like to listen to one of my teachings. The truth is that being surrounded by our culture makes it a lot harder to remain in Jesus than when we are surrounded by our church family with candles singing Silent Night, right? And so today our task is to figure out how we navigate living in a world that despises Jesus when movies, media, friends, coworkers, neighbors, and even family scoff and laugh try to persuade us to walk away from our faith and follow the ways of the world instead. Because until Christ returns or calls us home, this will be a part of our daily reality. Every day, it's where we live. And so the teachings in this series are coming from John 15. Jesus is preparing his first disciples that he will be leaving them very soon. And although he's speaking to Peter, James, John, and the rest of the gang, we recognize that Jesus is also speaking to us, his future disciples. And Jesus spends the first part of this chapter elaborating on this beautiful metaphor that he is the vine, his father is the gardener, and we are the branches. And in order to be healthy and thrive and bear fruit, we must remain in the vine. We must remain in Jesus all the time. 
And he talks about love and joy. He talks about how there's no greater love than to lay down your life for your friends. And then he calls us friends. And then he asks us to go out and bear fruit. And all of these beautiful ideas and good news and instruction, Brian and Dave and Bradley taught you during this series. But two-thirds through this chapter, Jesus suddenly takes this hard turn. And he says this in verse 18. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. What? I mean, I'm reading along, I'm dreaming of being a part of a beautiful garden, and whammo, by the way, people will hate you. Where's that coming from? Why does he say this in the middle of reminding us to stay connected to him? And so let's unpack this idea that the world might not like us. A world that not only Jesus warned us about, but John, James, Luke, Matthew, Peter, Paul, and even Moses early in Genesis warned us that the world will hate us for our belief. Happy Sunday. Aren't you so glad you're here today? And if you've never heard that before, I'm really sorry to be the one assigned to give you that news, but you guys know me well enough by now to know that I am an eternal optimist. I love Jesus. I love the good news of the gospel. And I even love that Jesus delivers this hard truth to us. I love that he doesn't lie. He doesn't pretend. He prepares us. And I love that he also teaches us some amazing ways to handle it. So here's our first lesson from Jesus on how to handle hatred from the world. Heed the warning and don't be surprised. Don't be surprised. The first time a college professor calls you out for your faith in front of your class. Don't be surprised when your neighbors make fun of you for your nativity scene. Don't be surprised when you're mocked for your beliefs about forgiveness or generosity or turning the other cheek. Don't be surprised when you're in high school or college and your friends tell you that you're stupid for not hooking up and they make fun of you. Just expect it. Have you ever been warned about something and then you were surprised when it happened anyway? When my kids were little, one of my boys really loved to cook with me. So he was about four years old, and we were in the kitchen, and I had one of those glass stovetops. You know the kind where you turn on the knob and it glows bright red, and then when you turn it off, it's black, but it's still smoking hot, right? And so I turned off the stove and I said, be careful, that stove is still hot. And he said, no it's not, it's not red anymore. And then he laid his palm flat down on that burner. And I can still hear that sizzle of his hand frying and that horrible blood-curdling scream that no mom ever wants to hear. And in the middle of crying and rushing to the sink for cold water and ice, I got this look. Parents, you might know this look. I got this look just for a second. It was a look of accusation. <laughs> like I had tricked him somehow, like I had not warned him. This did not go as he imagined. And I think this is how we respond to hatred for our faith sometimes. We've been warned, but we love Jesus so much and we just don't understand how we can be hated for his sake. We don't quite embrace the warning. And then when we feel or experience it, we can't believe it. We feel like we've been tricked somehow because following Jesus, it should feel like Christmas Eve in candlelight, shouldn't it? 
Not just like I burned my hand on a hot stove. But Jesus, he always speaks the truth to us. And this time is no exception. So when the world hates you, don't be surprised. In fact, guard against it. Because we don't react well when we're surprised, do we? Surprise leads to denial or defensiveness or anger, none of which are things that Jesus modeled as a response. And if you've never felt the hatred of the world, I promise you, sometime you will. So just be ready and not surprised. Jesus wasn't surprised. The world hated him from the beginning when King Herod tried to kill him as a baby. And it hated him to the end when they did kill him. He lived his whole life with some kind of hatred directed at him, but he remained in the Father all the time. And the love of the Father is greater than any hatred the world could ever give. He remained in the Father all the time. And the love of the Father, it's greater than any hatred the world will ever give you. And you know what happened? People were so surprised at the way Jesus reacted, so amazed at his response, that some started following him. And that's us, right? And Jesus talked about us in his very next verse, verse 19. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world. I have chosen you out of the world. We're his. Because we believe and follow, we're his. We're chosen to be different than the world. We're chosen to believe differently, to try and act differently, even though I know we often fail, and to love differently. So if we are different, then you know what we should do when we feel hatred? We should act differently, not act like the world tells us to, but instead to act like Jesus. So let's learn how to do that. And let's go back to verse 18. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. We can take comfort that Jesus knows exactly what we're going through. And he goes on to say this in verse 20. No servant is greater than his master. If they persecute me, they will persecute you also. And they will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. Jesus knows that we often hate or fear what we don't understand. And they will hate us because they do not know the one who sent Jesus. For me, recognizing that really takes the sting out of the hatred. And it almost turns my feelings to sorrow. I'm sorry that they don't know God. I'm not sorry in a better than you condescending way. I'm really sorry. I am truly sorry. I'm more sorry than I am hurt by it. So we have this right frame of mind. We aren't, we aren't surprised. We know that we're not alone. We know that Jesus was also persecuted. And we know the reason is because they don't know God. So now what? Because I'm an action person, right? I want to know how I'm supposed to respond. Well, Jesus gave us an awesome blueprint for how to do that. And he did it during the worst period that he ever endured, because I think it's hard to imagine being disliked more than by being crucified. So let's take an early look at Holy Week and figure out what we can learn. Here's the first thing. Sometimes silence is okay. 
In the Gospel of Mark, Jesus is being accused and his accusers are arguing and giving conflicting testimonies about Jesus. So here's the scene. A bunch of people bring Jesus to the high priest. They're accusing him of different things that don't all agree. And finally, the high priest has had enough of this. So he turns to Jesus and he says, well, aren't you going to answer? And Jesus remains silent. And there are times that is the right thing for us to do too. You have to have a little wisdom and discernment. And you have to think to yourself, does defending or arguing serve a purpose? Am I going to change something with my words? I've been wrongly accused about my faith, and maybe you have too. I've been hated in person, I've been hated on social media, I've been hated by email, by people who've never even met me. And someone asked me, why don't you defend yourself? Why don't you respond? And my answer was, and I think this was what Jesus was doing too, what would it change? People who know me know me, Jesus knows me, and I answer to him, and I take that really seriously. These people who don't know me will believe what they want to believe. So in the face of accusations, lies, misstatements, or whatever about you, your faith, or your church, you have to know that sometimes you can't say anything that will help. And I know that's really hard to swallow because we live in a culture that teaches us to spew out every thought. And I think this really gets easier with maturity because one day you just wake up and realize, oh my gosh, not everyone's gonna like me. And that's okay. Taylor Swift is right. The hater's gonna hate. (laughs) Jesus knew it. These people were gonna hate him no matter what he said. And so me arguing with a table full of family who thinks I'm crazy to follow Jesus will not help. And you know what? Sometimes the less you say, the less platform you give for the hatred because people quickly tire of arguing with themselves. Silence is sometimes okay. And friends, this is the hardest of Jesus' responses to model. Here's the next thing we learned from Jesus. Violence is not the right response. When they came to arrest Jesus, Malchus was among the group who came. He was the servant of the high priest. Peter, always the emotional hothead, drew his sword and cut off Malchus's ear. But Jesus said, no more of this. I cannot read this ever without hearing in my head my dad saying to us kids, knock it off. No more of this. And Jesus reached out and healed the ear. And now I ask you, which do you think made Malchus more likely to want to follow Jesus? Someone cutting off his ear in violence or someone healing it? Now I doubt most of us are thinking about taking out a sword to cut off someone's ear, at least I hope not. And even though we do sometimes see physical violence around faith today, we are way more likely to engage in verbal violence or violent writings, aren't we? Would Jesus look at our social media posts or hear our family fights and say, no more of this, knock it off? Does what we say or write have the same effect as cutting off someone's ear or the same effect as healing it? And if we can't heal, maybe we should discern that it's a time to be silent. So even though silence is sometimes okay and violence is not okay, there are times to speak because denying Jesus is not right either. 
after Jesus' arrest, Peter, who, remember, had just taken up a sword to fight for Jesus, right, suddenly finds himself confronted with people wanting to know if he was a follower. Faced with hatred toward Jesus' followers, Peter denied that he was one. Not me. I never knew the guy. And this is another reason to stay rooted in Jesus and in a community of believers who can encourage you. Because when Peter denied Jesus, he was all alone. I mean, poor Peter, I get this. Do you? How often do I deny that I know Jesus by my words or my actions or my inactions? Jesus says in Matthew 10, verse 33, Whoever disowns me before men, I will disown him before my Father in heaven. Ouch. I mean, that hits home because I fail at this. Jesus was not surprised by Peter's denial, and he predicted it, and he forgave it. But you can see by this, this warning that he's not too thrilled with us when we do that. So can you think of a time when you were in a situation to deny being a disciple or a follower of Jesus? It's so hard to know what to do. And sometimes the situation, it's really subtle, isn't it? I watched an encounter like that at a dinner party once. At my table were people from several cultures. So we had Jamaicans, Italians, Germans, Brits, and Americans. And the German couple had just gotten married after living together for 13 years. Out of curiosity for this delightful couple, one of the women asked, why'd you wait so long to get married? Well, Andreas got mad and bristled, and he said, if the love was there, what does it matter? I mean, maybe he'd been challenged about it before, I don't know, but all of a sudden, there is tension at this table. And I knew the lady was Jesus' follower. So what do you think she should do? Should she go along with the culture and just say, hey, whatever makes you happy, you do you? Should she argue her viewpoint, ignore the question, Here is the beautiful and subtle response that she gave that did not deny her faith. She simply nodded and she said, we're Catholic, so marriage is a sacrament for us. She didn't argue, she didn't accuse, she didn't say they had to believe what she believed, she didn't even say they were wrong, she just simply said, this is our belief. But she didn't deny her faith and her tone was unapologetic, but not hostile. So the tension dissolved. The two of them had conversation and laughter for the rest of the meal. And if Andreas was curious about her faith, she had given a response that would have allowed more conversation. And because of that smart response, I have one of my best memories ever. After dinner, no one angry, we all went to the piano sing-along where Andreas the German led five different cultures in a rousing rendition of John Denver's Take Me Home Country Roads. (laughs) And all of us singing together, each in our own accents, me, as off-key as always, led by a German man who'd probably never been to West Virginia, was better than any perfect harmony Coca-Cola commercial will ever get. And it taught me a great lesson about how to acknowledge our faith and beliefs and how to do it kindly and gently. Paul says this in Romans 1, verse 16, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then to the Gentile. We should never, never be ashamed of the gospel. I mean, it's what saved us. 
It's what fills us with all this joy that Jesus was talking about right before the warning. It's who we are. And you absolutely can say what you believe without anger or arguing or accusation. And the gospel might actually get heard that way. Because when we defend the gospel with anger and arguing and accusation, the gospel is not heard. What's heard is only anger, arguing, or accusation. Okay, next lesson. This is my favorite and most often used lesson. Look away from yourself. When the world is hating you, your church, or your faith, quit worrying about yourself and your feelings and look away from yourself to take care of someone else because that's what Jesus did. Jesus nailed to a cross and actively dying of asphyxiation from being crucified, struggling to breathe, looks out and sees his mom and his best friend. And in one of his last actions, he says, hey, take care of each other, you're family now. Jesus still nailed to that cross, still struggling to breathe and dying, notices people being killed on either side of him. And he invites one of them to be in heaven with him that very day. And Jesus, still nailed to that cross, still dying, still struggling to take a breath, looks out at the very people who are killing him, who have beaten him, nailed him to that cross, gave him vinegar to drink, stole his clothes, spit on him, mocked him, and are wishing he would hurry up and die because the Sabbath is coming and this is getting darn inconvenient. And what does Jesus do? He prays, Father, Forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Think about that. I want you to think about that. He is always loving others, even his enemies, even those who persecuted him and hated him, even those who killed him. And so let's do what he did. Take the focus off of yourself and your hurt feelings and look around for who you can love or serve in those moments of hatred, including loving or serving those who mock you and give you a hard time. I love my family. They are wonderful people in so many ways. And they don't have to believe in Jesus or understand my faith for me to love them. Jesus loved the person killing him, and we're not greater than our master. And so, if he can love, we can too. So when we are faced with misunderstanding, or persecution, mockery, or outright hatred while we live in this fallen, broken world, let's try to just do what Jesus did. Don't be surprised, he's warned us. Know that Jesus was also hated. Know that they hate us because they just don't know God. We need to understand that sometimes silence is our best option. Violence is not the way of Jesus. Get over yourself and look towards others. And love. Love even in the face of hatred. If we can do these things, we can leave the door open for relationships and love and the possibility of curiosity and questions and maybe even acceptance. It's not my job to save my family or my coworkers or my neighbors. It's my assignment to follow Jesus 
and his teachings and to love and care for others, even when, most especially when, I am hated for it. And not a condescending, superior attitude type of love, but real love, the kind Jesus showed, the kind where he laid down his life for us while we were still sinners, the kind I need every single day. And we need to remain connected to the vine, connected to Jesus every single day if we have a prayer of doing that. I want to close with this. Jesus said this about his disciples, about us. They will know you are my disciples if you love one another. This world will hate you, but you, my disciples, you I have called out of this world. You are called to love anyway. So let's do everything we can to remain in that love. We say a prayer with me. Father, here we are, once again surrounded by faithful church family. So it's so easy for us right now to say, of course, Lord, I'll never leave you. I'll never deny you. The hatred of the world will never affect me. But Lord, we get out there and it does. It does. So forgive us when we fail and help us to remain strong and rooted in you. Help us to bring the love that you showed to us out into the world and remain in you every single day. We pray this in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.